today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We're going to talk about employment, or in some people's case, sadly, lack of employment because of the pandemic. We're just getting out of the lockdown here in Ontario. Even the uh, areas uh, that uh, were in uh, still in the lockdown mode, are get, well, one of them is anyway, uh, York Region is coming out of this, but uh, Peel and uh, the GTA is still going to be in lockdown mode. But what about jobs? What about employment? You know, we talked about this, and I can still remember some of the early discussions we had last February, March, and say, well, this is temporary. Uh, so these programs like CERB that the government and others were putting in place uh, should do the trick. But I think all of us, if we look back in hindsight, we're figuring out oh, this is probably going to go on for maybe five, six, maybe eight weeks maximum, and then everything should get back to normal. Well, it's not. And uh, there's a lot of people that are concerned about that. And, and from two standpoints, obviously from an employment standpoint, if you're one of the people that has lost employment or is waiting to get called back. But the other is uh, the, the manufacturing entities and other businesses uh, are looking for people to come in to fill that. And there's a big gap there as a result. Uh, there's a widespread agreement that the labor force in Canada is changing. We know that. And the changes are accelerating as baby boomers into retirement. Uh, a lot of industries are being replaced by green jobs, and uh, a lot of the businesses are saying right now that there seems to be a gap right now. Uh, that they can't find the people they need uh, to do the sorts of jobs that are available these days. So I, I, let's start off with that particular aspect of it, and uh, we'll move into it. And I, they're talking about skills and a number of other things, but I think there's a lot more to it. And to that end, we're pleased to welcome Marvin Ryder back to the program. Marvin, of course, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University in Hamilton. Marvin, hope you're doing well these days. I'm just fine. Thank you, Bill. The headline here talks about skills, and I think yep. we certainly do have to pay attention to that, but uh, it's, it's not a singular issue, is it? <laughs> no, no, it's not a singular issue, and it's also not an easy issue because uh, you have to take a look at a crystal ball and say, what's the world going to look like 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now? Um, we, we don't know what it's going to look like 10 weeks from now, do we? Well, or, or even tomorrow, necessarily. <laughs> so you're, you're right about all of this. Now, what are, the, what are the businesses complaining about? Well, as we look ahead over the next 10 to 15 years, we believe there are going to be some hot areas. One is on green energy, green energy. So whether this is solar-powered energy, wind-powered energy, um, drawing energy out of the ground through heat pumps, um, but we're, we're going to need people in those fields. We're also going to need people who understand electric vehicles and autonomous driving vehicles. That's a different skill set than a gasoline-powered engine and the, the mechanics who've made their mark in those areas. And then we talk about something called artificial intelligence, where computers can uh, sense what we're doing, monitor what we're doing, suggest corrective actions, um, in some cases, these are algorithms that watch how we live our lives and say, oh, Marvin, you're getting a little close to the edge of the road. You need to come back into the middle. Or hmm, if you're interested in these things on the Internet, maybe you'd be interested in those things. And, and having people who are capable of writing these algorithms, uh, mastering these technologies, they're in short supply at the moment. And that really raises two questions, Bill. You were talking about the people who are unemployed, and unfortunately, the pandemic has hit uh, disproportionately. So, for instance, hourly workers have been more affected than salaried workers. Uh, Lower-income workers have been more affected than higher-income workers. And obviously, people with less education have been affected more than people with more education. And so how do we find the skills for tomorrow, but also how do we transition the workforce we have today to, to keep them on top of things. Now, I'll just tell you a quick story, and then I'll, I'll let you jump back in here. Sure, sure. Years and years and years ago, Bill, 
my father has been dead for 35 years, but I can remember that my dad signed up to take a course at a community college in the metric system. This was before it had become mandatory in Canada, but he felt that, look, if this is what's coming down the road, I had better be current about this. So believe it or not, you could sign up for a a course on understanding kilograms and meters and all of those sorts of things. Now, my dad was a shift worker. Uh, worked his eight hours and what have you. But when the metric system became uh, the recognized commodity, his company actually tapped him to lead a task force within the company to introduce it more broadly. By staying current with his skill set, he actually made himself more valuable to the company. And, And that's the message I think we have to share with all workers. This idea that I'm going to, let's say, go to school or get a trade, and then I'll stay in that for the next 35, 40 years until I retire, that's just not the way of the world today. The skills are evolving so far and so fast. You have to keep taking a certain amount of time in reinvesting it in yourself. And if you don't do that, then you run the risk of being left behind completely. And unfortunately, if I use Hamilton as an example, The two biggest drivers of the economy in Hamilton today are health and education. It's not manufacturing. Now, there was a time that I could finish grade 12, get a job in manufacturing, earn $50,000, $60,000 a year, and be just fine, thank you. But now those jobs have been, been disappearing, some of them to robotics. And these people say, okay, well, I'll just switch over and go into health or education. Whoa, wait a minute. You know, you're going to need at least one, if not two degrees and other experiences. And if you're 53 and you're downsized out of that manufacturing job, I'm not actually sure what path you've got forward because you haven't kept your skills current. A lot, a lot of stuff to talk about there. And touched on a lot of key points, and uh, and you're right. Even if you do have the same job for 25 or 30 years in in this environment, in, in you know this year, uh, you do have to reinvest in yourself because just about everybody has to take refresher courses because things are always evolving, and just about every business is always evolving, and, and most companies uh, demand that you do that. That's a good idea. But what Marvin, I'll take it one step further. There's a large number of people right now that don't just have to re- they have to reinvent themselves really. Yes. Uh, and that's a lot more difficult, uh, and, and no matter what your circumstance. And that's what so many other variables that you just talked about come into play. Education or lack thereof, uh, age is certainly a factor, uh, you know, existing skill sets and availability of jobs, uh, availability of courses. Uh, you know, are the, are the post-secondary edu- education institutions keeping up with this, this, this pivot that's going on right now and making the sorts of courses that, that people want to have available for them? Yeah, so I think the short answer is uh, all of these institutions are trying, and they're also trying in concert with industry. So let me use a Mohawk example rather than a sure. McMaster example. Mohawk is is brilliant at connecting to the uh, business world around them. And when they have a program, and let's say for the sake of argument it is a, a green energy program or maybe it's a robotics program, you're not just in the classroom learning from some experts, uh, or at least so-called experts. Every program has connections to industry, and they all have placements. I'll call them internships, but work placements, co-op placements, to get you out into the workforce and seeing how the world works. Mohawk is, is a genius at doing these kinds of things, and, and there's more pressure than ever 
for post-secondary education to have a connection back into the business world. Now, I will say, I will say, not everyone likes that. You know, art history is, there's nothing wrong with art history and understanding art and, and valuing art and culture uh, doesn't necessarily automatically have a business application. But if you are looking for programs where you are doing them specifically to develop yourself and to build uh, connections and networking and, and business experience, uh, post-secondary education is trying to do that in a big way, and they're doing it in partnership with the business community. Now, what we don't know is coming out of this pandemic, what will the resources be like? For instance, will businesses have the ability to invest a bit of their time and energy to develop the next generation? I know a lot of businesses, we call it hitting your career path running, meaning they want fully formed graduates. They don't want to take any time and energy to get them up to speed. And I think that's short-sighted, but I do also understand that, look, if money is tight and resources are tight, my revenue stream has been disrupted for the last year. I, I just don't have the same kind of budget to invest in those things. I, but I will say again, I think that's being short-sighted. You must invest in your recruiting. You must invest in your employees if you want them to be state-of-the-art five years, ten years down the road. Uh, communication is going to be a key to this. And, and by the way, I one point to you, I, I think they are pivoting. I think uh, post-secondary education institutions are trying to do that. And, but the one thing I'm really gratified, and I think it's going to play a, a big role in this too, is the collaboration between those institutions. Uh, you, you know, there were years and years ago in Hamilton, McMaster University was the university in town. Mohawk College was the college. One was on the mountain, one was in the West End, and never the twain shall meet. Right. Uh, there's a lot of integration between those two, as there is in London between Fanshawe and Western University. Uh, they get it that, hey, we can do this together. You do this part, I'll do that part, and, and the community as, as a result benefits from that. So that, that, that's, that's a big asset, I would think. Absolutely, and, and here's just another variation on that. So uh, you know, obviously students, this education costs money, and I may not have enough money to, to get the whole program. So I start at, at a Fanshawe or I start at a Mohawk, and I, I get a, um, a, I'll call it a diploma in nursing. But that diploma, if I exercise the option within four or five years, does allow me to go further into post-secondary education and ultimately maybe get a degree. I, I want to take a little break, though, because I don't have enough cash to do all that. So I take the first part, work for a year or two, then I come back, add the degree to the experience as it goes. We're seeing all kinds of these hybrid-type programs, joint ventures, between the two institutions. They allow you to collect a diploma uh, from the college, but also open a door if you want to go further with post-secondary education. And I think that, again, is the key. It's about being flexible, not tying yourself to one platform and thinking, well, that's going to do me forever. Uh, the skills are just going to keep evolving. And, and again, problem here, Bill, is techno technology doesn't stay steady. Uh, we weren't talking about Bitcoin 10 years from now, and I'm not sure we're going to be talking about Bitcoin 10 years from now, but there certainly will be digital currencies and other cryptocurrencies out there. If you don't know what they are and you aren't staying current with that, you're really condemning yourself. You're making yourself obsolete. You've got to try to pay attention to these things and ask yourself, how could it have an influence on the business that I'm in? You talked about demographics. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, well, what some people are calling the lost demographic, and that's, as you say, that 45 to 55-year-old uh, who may have lost their job or be waiting for a callback that may never come. Yep. Uh, 
Retraining can be a rather onerous task for people like that because of the lifestyle that in which they're in right now. Uh, there's probably debt that's incurred in situations like that. I can't just pick up and go back to college. You know, I've got responsibilities here. How do you reach out to those people? Well, that's really the challenge, I think, facing governments at all levels, both the federal and provincial governments, in terms of what kind of support you want to give these workers. It's, it's great to talk a good game. Oh, we must retrain these workers. We must invest in our people. Well, great. How are you, how are you going to do that? What, what methods are you going to do? And, and again, Bill, I hate to bring this up. I know this is a sore point with many of your listeners, but the concept of that um, guaranteed wage, that, that basic living wage, um, universal wage, so that someone could take a year off, know that they would collect, let's say, $20,000 from the government over the course of that year, so they could take that time to invest in themselves without worried about how am I going to pay the rent, how am I going to put food on the table. We know in Hamilton, from the pilot that was done, and although the pilot was never finished, but you know, as far as it did get, that there were a number of people knowing that they had that universal wage or that global wage who did, did uh, begin to pull themselves up by the bootstraps, who were able to take the time and take some programs and, and open some doors for themselves that were going to lead to a better way down the road. You know, Bill, um, a few weeks ago they released data on the CERB, uh, $82 billion the government mm-hmm. spent on 9 million people. But there's a funny little aspect of that. $600 million of the CERB were spent on people who were 15, 16, or 17 years of age. These were people who often dropped out of school, were taking jobs, say, in the hospitality sector, uh, earning not much more than minimum wage, and uh, so certainly they were entitled to serve. But you know, we have this vision that all 15, 16, 17-year-olds go on to college, go on to university, and there's a chunk who don't. They may want to do that later in life. We need supports for them that allow them to get back in when they, when they sort of come to grips with whatever challenges they've been facing. Well, they can it- go in. Yeah, and you, I mean, you talked about the, the debate about guaranteed income, and, and you know, there's some talk that that was going to be in the federal budget. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. But there have to be some discussions, I would think, Marvin, about some of the other programs, uh, national daycare programs, et cetera, and things like that, that uh, some people of the small C conservative uh, you know, ilk uh, would simply say, nope, nope, we don't do that sort of thing here. Uh, if you want these other programs to work, you're going to have to offer those sorts of things. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we just have to, as we talk about reinventing workers, I think we have to reinvent our support systems and, and the infrastructure within our our society. If we really believe in lifelong learning and the time for lifelong learning, uh, we've, we've got to, to think about how do we allow people to do this. Now, certainly the pandemic has caused a lot of post-secondary institutions and even high schools and elementary schools to uh, a try, a try, online worlds. I was teaching a class earlier this morning, and I have one later on today using Zoom, and there are some good things about doing it online, and there are some bad things. What we have been talking about at the university is probably some kind of a hybrid model, that if I'm teaching you uh, anatomy and you're supposed to dissect a corpse, I think we still want you to be in a room and dissecting a corpse. Not sure a virtual dissection is going to help you all that much. But there are other courses that we offer which could be offered at a distance, could give you blended options. Um, And I think this experimenting is required on our side. It needs to be supported on the government side. And again, this idea that you're never too old to learn something. Uh, As I say, in my case with my father, he was in his 50s when he signed up for a course in the metric system. And again, I'll be candid, 
although to me it didn't seem terribly difficult for someone who hadn't been in a classroom for 20 years. Trust me, for my father it was a difficult thing, and yet he was so much better having done that. And I see that when it talks about computers and, and information technology. If, if you're one of those people, when you hear these stories, your eyes just kind of glaze over and say, I'm going to leave that to the kids, you're actually inviting problems for your own career path down the road. Marvin Ryder at the DeGroote School of Business. Always a pleasure, Marvin. Thank you so much for this. Glad to be with you today, Bill. Take care. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.